Welcome to the Lighthouse Conversations, a show featuring entrepreneurs and tastemakers from the world of art, culture, tech, and of course, food. I'm your host, Hasha Montasser. I'm joined on this episode by Cyril Zamit, who's been closely associated with the regional design world for over a decade, starting with the launch of Design Days Dubai in 2012 and followed by launching Dubai Design Week in 2015. Before taking on his role as Fair Director at Design Days, Cyril worked as a Senior Sponsorship and Funding Manager with a Tourism Development and Investment Company, TDIC, in Abu Dhabi. I've known Cyril since that first inaugural design fair, which ushered a new era for collectible design in Dubai and the region and put Design Days Dubai on the map. I remember finding it eye-opening and full of surprises. I was especially interested to see how mixing high and low can be effective as the region made its first hesitant steps towards embracing collectible design as a worthy younger brother of collectible art. I feel we've been having conversation for a couple of years. Couple. M- many more maybe, but I don't <laughs> exactly. reveal my age. No, me neither. So perhaps uh, a decade, I was looking back um, in the very early days when I met you, and I think it must have been 2011 or so when you were yep. setting up for Design Days. It was a very different time then, very exciting. So is now, but a very different time. And I came to see you. You guys were set up in a building, um, in that beautiful building here, right? If you recall. In- Index. Index Tower, exactly. Index Tower, I came yes. to see you in Index Tower true. with your team. And the first thing that struck me then, you had this encyclopedic memory of design and you rattled off so many different designers and objects and pieces and I was like wow like this is a whole and I remember being very excited about this but also thinking I'm very curious to see how this would be received what brought you here at the time and what made you think that that kind of initiative which we could argue we were talking offline you and I could may have been before it's time we'll discuss that what made you think that that initiative made sense at the time for, for Dubai and for the region? Um, well, first of all, I need to give credit to Ben Floyd who created Art Dubai Group because he's the one who, come, who, who came knocking at my door and said, hey, I have this idea, let's do it. So I was at that time in Abu Dhabi working for TDIC at that time it was called, so taking care of Abu Dhabi Art and the future museums. And he said, okay, why don't we start that? And he came to see me in July 2011, and the first edition was in March 2012. So we wow. had nine crazy months. I remember. You know, the way that it works in Dubai, I mean, yeah. the shortest time you have, the more excited you get, right? Yeah. And we don't care about sleepless nights. And you had brought, at the time, carpenters, yeah. you brought Nilofar, you brought, I mean, some very, very big Absolutely. galleries uh, to the region for the first time. Exactly. Were you thinking this is right for Dubai or were you thinking this will go over people's heads and what really happened? Um, we were hopeful that um, because of the sophistication of the city, because of the sophistication of the people around here, um, the market we were opening was something quite already mature. But we kind of opened the book on chapter three and chapter four without necessarily <laughs> looking at chapter one and two. And that is definitely maybe if we had to, to start back, or maybe a point where we would have to increase our, um, our appreciation of the knowledge of everything around it. Because obviously when you bring a piece at $250,000, um, it's not people won't understand it here, but they probably have a different aesthetic or way of interpreting this in their own house. You know, here the way that a house is open to, 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 a, to a person, to an external is completely different, right? Sometimes you have, you know, the majlis on one side and then the family side on the other. Um, and not necessarily every type of house is here or fit for it. And we also found that not necessarily every single elevation 
elevator in towers of fit for, for furniture that some Correct. people bought a piece and had to return into the gallery the day after saying it doesn't fit my my lift and I live on the 44th floor, right? So that was also a situation that obviously sometimes is not happening. But I think it's also the fact that um, Dubai was buzzing, we wanted to capture the wave. Um, it was systematically, and everyone is referring to Design This Dubai as a place of discovery, as a place of learning. Learning, exactly. And also, because we did the first few years, we also did a lot of design installations. So that was also a different dimension of design on a more artistical point of view than just a purely basic functional table, chair, armchair, whatsoever. And that also was an eye-opening for a lot of people because we, we had this opportunity to create something out of the blue. We did workshop with great names, you know, when you have Studio Swine creating... Uh, chairs from from leftover from construction sites, or um, or Kwangoli from from Korea, basically doing a sofa out of a foam block. That was quite unique here because we were disregarding those type of material, and then suddenly you created something noble out of it. And that was something a, a different journey that we opened. Well, one of the things I'm I'm uh, uh, I'm, I'm I mean this earnestly that uh, I felt right away, your perspective first of all was genuinely global at a time when now that's a big buzzword, but you are trying to really bring in different perspectives to the fair. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to say it in a way that is polite. I'll try. I'm not sure I will. Uh -oh. You know, you weren't trying to impose a kind of a, which was very typical at the time and still remains the case, a Western narrative and aesthetic on the region. So guys, you know what? Carpenters has deemed, for example, I'm nothing against Carpenters, but has deemed this the piece that's what sells in Miami, uh, and we're going to bring it to the region now, uh, and you guys have to understand that this is important. And yeah. if you don't, it means you're not sophisticated. Absolutely. Um, and you kind of seem to have figured that out. That is very unusual, I have to say. I think if, you, if you're coming from a background where you were not born in design, you were not specialized in design, you have this curiosity which remains in your head, right? Yeah. And also, um, I did fight quite hard to have, you know, the unique design gallery from Australia to come over the second year of the show, you know, brooch commissions, for example. And I also opened the floor to craft. And God knows some of those big institutionalized galleries from the West run into me and say, how dare you? Yeah. It's not possible. Craft is, you know, it's for... You're belittling the show. Exactly. Da, da, da. And now look, I mean, craft is... Completely over, integrated. Over noble, more and even more noble than the traditional design limited edition. I think is this is the curiosity because Dubai has so many different backgrounds, so many different uh, personalities. Then it needs it needed to reflect the aspect, and also it's an opportunity to open. Uh, the floor to pieces which could be eventually cheaper, I mean, more affordable in that aspect, because obviously uh, a gallery like this Australian had pieces from ten dollars or $15,000. So that was eventually, you know, a point of entry for some people entry who wouldn't to start to buy. But what in your background made you be able to think that way? Because, I mean, you grew up in France. Yes. Is it that you feel you came to design as an outsider, perhaps, so you had a bit more of a meritocratic approach versus maybe somebody was steeped in design and had a more snobbish approach? Exactly. Is it where you grew up? Is it your parents? I mean, I'm curious to understand a bit more. I mean, my blood is mixed between Malta, um, Sicily, France, and Catalonia, whatever you want to call it. It's a nice mix. My, it's a, oh yeah, it's Mediterranean. So, you know, I'm, I'm related one way or another to the Arab world somehow. Um, Most definitely. Uh, and then... And, it's just the fact that I enjoy um, traveling all the way around. I went to North Korea. I went to um, very strange places here and there. And always I love to see the end of the line of a metro, for example, when I'm in a big city somewhere. When I'm, when I'm going to a new city, I'm going to the metro and I go to the end of the line to see how's the real life at the end of the line, right? And not staying in the 
the golden triangle of you know uh, Paris, uh, Champs Elysees, and 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 the eight arrondissement. So it's always it's interesting. A bit ungolden now, I have to say, but yes. yeah, yeah, no, I'm not necessarily this one, but <laughs> it's kind of bronze at this no, stage. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, probably, yeah, probably brass. <laughs> exactly, it's very brass. But anyway, <laughs> but I mean, it's it's this curiosity, and then because we wanted to also have a different aspect um, in terms of offering for for the visitors. Ben had um, gave me the green light to travel wherever I wanted to. I had a small budget and I had to, you know, really make sure that I was traveling here and there on for the right purpose. But I was, I'm very proud of who I brought. I'm very proud oh, of who I introduced. And also the very first year, people were saying, well, you know, you see, there's no Emirati designers in your show. There was one or two. And I said, Okay, I need to explain why. It's not because I'm disregarding the region. It's not because I'm snob and I want to play the Western part. It's at that time, and honestly speaking, at that time, there was no strong pieces or strong enough to be to be beside Carpenters, to be beside Nilufar, whatever. And I don't want the people to look down at the, at the creation of someone who hasn't matured yet and will. And just because, and then we say, oh, that comes from Dubai, well, it's pretty cool. And you wouldn't be doing them a service. You wouldn't be doing the service. I mean, look, for both sides. We, we feel at a very different level, very similar about the lighthouse and our shop there, for example. I mean, when we first started, and we still are, obviously, we are a homegrown company and business. We always wanted to promote local design. But if I'm bringing to your point exactly, particular designers from abroad, they have to sit alongside a strong product from, from this part of the world, from our part of the world, or else that particular designer from the region, I'm not doing him a service or her yeah. service. They will eventually be looked down upon. Exactly. And, you know, this is not charity. Um, and, and the region has changed a lot and, uh, and that, in and that, that period. Is, and that is, for me, the most important aspect is like a place like Dubai should also support their designers in a way that giving them international exposure, but not only the exposure, because you can you can have a fantastic spot in the middle of Milan during the Salone del Mobile. It doesn't necessarily mean that what you're showing is good, right? So it's an entire full 360 process that needs to be put in place. And and this is something which I wanted at that time to initiate in a way that, you know, I mean, Tashkil and Sheikh Latifa from Tashkil created the Tanwin program, which is a fantastic program where basically she chooses about four designers based in the UAE. They need to produce a piece produced in the UAE. Yes. And that is something great because she's really supporting the local fabric in a way from the brain to the product. And this is a huge challenge because obviously here we have potentiality to create everything, to produce everything, not necessarily in quality. And then she herself and her team are going all the way around to find the right producers. It's and a wonderful then she market. Yeah, exactly. It's a wonderful program. As we're building this design ecosystem, and it's been now over 10 years from the onset of, of your original show, um, do you feel this is something, and, and you've seen it elsewhere, something that is top-down, meaning it is government institutions or primarily that should be supporting this, building it out? Should it be bottom-up? In other words, people like you and I starting our own design galleries, promoting or a combination. I mean, what have you seen elsewhere as a playbook that works most effectively? Honestly speaking, I think a bit of both. I mean, the government needs to give a framework like they've done recently with, for example, some golden visa or... Um, changing a bit of the law, working on the copyright aspect, that's the job of the government, is helping the community to feel secure, to feel protected, and to feel eventually at ease to produce. 
but you can't force a designer to produce. You can't force a, a talent to, to go into production or to do something. So that, that talent needs to feel comfortable as well to eventually go ahead and be a bit bold to go here or there. And then obviously we need places like yours at the Lighthouse to be a visibility platform for them to be exposed. The only thing that I still regret in Dubai, I mean, it's been changing recently in November with the opening of uh, the first design gallery called Collectional, is, is that there's not necessarily a regular place for those no. designers to be seen. You come at the design week, you see them, then they vanish Except for, the, they for vanish. the rest of the 51 weeks. Except, as I said, some platform like yours or that collectional gallery now in Dubai. And that's the problem. The problem is that, okay, now we can say, oh, but you know, you use your Instagram, you use your website. Yes, but people want to see, want to 100%. touch. And, and wants to as well feel, you know, okay, I can, a, a table can look magnificent on the picture. But when you see in real, then reality hurts. And want to meet as well. So, exactly. I mean, I think yeah. it's partially having this dialogue. Yeah. You require spaces to have, to have those dialogues, which are not easy to find. And to build a community, um, you know, we've had a lot of people here on the show that have um, been part of building that community. You know, Vilma from Sirkel, of course, Abdelmin, I'm the whole Sirkel family. You've had some initiatives like Dubai Design District that are more top-down coming from the government. Um, you've had Art Dubai, of course, for, for a decade plus now. But to your point, I still feel that if I wanted to go and have a conversation understand what's out there. There's honestly nowhere to go. Exactly. My friends, when they come to town, they say, where can I see design? I was like, oh, yeah. I can't answer. Yeah. No, I mean, there's, there's no... I mean, now a few points, as I said, but otherwise, as a, as a permanent feature, there's, there's no place. So now that the world has become a bit more democratized in this sense, maybe the design Miamis of the world have been humbled over the last couple of years for... And I'm not saying this dismissively. I mean, the pandemic obviously change things. Do you think that now that it's the right time to revisit uh, something like what you did 10 years ago as a 2.0 version? I would say a mix of both. I think it's important that um, not necessarily if we were to recreate Design Days Dubai, it would not probably be a full-on and full-pledged type of old-fashioned um, type of, 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 of fare um, for several reasons. Shipping is complicated. Mm. Uh, it's a huge investment for galleries. Um, there are plenty of shows around the world, so galleries probably will have to choose at one point which one is the more profitable than another. You can't go in Paris, Miami, San Francisco, Shanghai, Hong Kong, now Paris, um, all year round. It's not possible. Technically, it's not possible. Unless you're a super big player, even for the super big players, it's too expensive. So we need to find a way that eventually it's, a, it's more... It's a smaller version, which is more talking to a people like here, for example, I would see something which is more um, strong. It's stronger in scenography where you put eventually pieces into a perspective and not necessarily a kind of a cold booth with white walls. And then you just put the pieces and then you need from yourself when you at the fair project yourself to see, okay, is that the right sofa for my, for my house? I think it's important that uh, after COVID, we realize how important the house is, how important uh, living inside is important. So I think as it gives as well a different perspective that, okay, I want not only to embellish my house, but I also want to buy something which is part of my legacy. Because obviously those pieces, when you buy for so expensive numbers, it's not only for you, it's for the children behind you, and then it's for eventually to pass, over, to, pass to, to other people, and not only a pure satisfactory object that you buy for yourself unless you're single like me, but that's a different story. But otherwise, it's, it's, I think it's the, the way it's also important that um, 
you know during um, the, the pandemic we went through that everything is accessible to your door, um, even for the most sophisticated piece. When you look at the auctions organized by Christie's, Sotheby's, Philips, um, even vintage pieces, which are highly in demand, are online. So, um, so the market is completely different. You always have those very few one-person collectors who are doing all the fairs all the year round. And if you remember right before COVID, it was funny, they were starting to talk about uh, fair fatigues. Yeah, I remember. I mean, poor guys, really. You spend your, <laughs> you spend, you spend your year doing yeah, fairs yeah. and you, you're fatigued by that. I think now people who have a bit of wealth just want to play the game as well. The same way, that, you, know, you know, that um, you can start to be an art collector from $5,000. It doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, super expensive pieces. Yeah. So the game has changed. So the, ru the rules have changed. And we need to also reinvent the situation that maybe a city like Dubai should not have the same type of fare than another city in the rest of the world because Dubai is different. So what kind of fare, in theory, would a city like Dubai have? Again, I think it would be something intimate, something completely projected in a way that is absolutely created in the house or something where you'll have, you know, and an, a situation where you definitely see the piece in, in practice, in, in, in function. And that is an option. Other options is eventually doing something more uh, smaller or maybe a booth where, I mean, a, a traditional fair with booth, but not the, the, the basic white walls, you know, when some, some exhibitors are doing a proper scenography. When you say in function, do you mean kind of in situ? So like basically yeah. you're almost recreating, I don't know, a, a living room yeah. or, or something I think it's like important. That. I think it's important because... You're putting context. Yes, exactly. Because the way the people appreciate the situation here in the region is also immediately seeing in context and not necessarily having this very conceptual booth where basically you see a couple of sticks holding a, a, a sheet of glass and it's the table. They want to see it, how it works. So I think that helps and that would help as well. Plus, um, there's, there's this new generation who is um, comfortable in terms of finance and they're ready as well to buy some new pieces. Not the thing that they've seen in the house of their parents or their, their grandparents. They really want to see something different and new. When we come back, We'll talk about how Surreal sees the evolution of design in the region, the convergence of design and tech, which has manifested itself via new phenomena such as NFTs and more, right after this short break. Welcome back. I'm Hasha Montasser, and you're listening to the Lighthouse Conversations with our guest, Cyril Zamit. Has the local scene, by local I mean the whole region, not just Dubai, evolved over this decade or you still think not so much honestly speaking yes it has evolved but not as strong as i was hoping yeah i agree with that um i was really hoping 10 years ago that you know the new the new generation would do plenty of stuff but let's not blame them let's blame the everyone around and the and and the, and the, and all the players who have not eventually given them the chance to yeah. to be to be to be seen have not given them the chance to be commissioned and when they are commissioned sometimes we hear so often oh but we're giving them the visibility we don't necessarily want to pay them i mean this yes. is revolting for me i think you know at least i was fighting with some people saying okay at least pay the production cost oh no but you know we're giving them so much visibility yeah, but those guys have a like you and me some some bills to pay at the end of the month, right? So I think this is this in a way that um, 
we need to, to support them from A to Z and not necessarily giving them visibility because we think it's the, it's the penultimate and the, and the access to the Graal. No, you know, you also need to help them producing, help them shipping, help them having this great opportunity to build up their own portfolio, help them to secure their work, again, with copyrights, for example. God knows how many things can be copied around, not only in the region, but in the world these days. And I'm always saying to the young designers, uh, today, I say it's great for you to have an Instagram account. It's great for you to have a website. But before you put anything out, pattern, make your make your design protected. Of course, someone will copy it somewhere somehow. But protect yourself before you go wild online, because then you're out of the, in the wild and no one will will take care of you. So, do you think we need more collectives, but maybe coming from the private sector, like a Tashkil type? platform, uh, like almost a design collective where you're able to plug them in. I mean, you know, my Tashkil in theory plays a bit of that role, right? It's sort of a, a platform or, or um, studio or incubator for certain, for designers. In a way, yes, but at the end, no, because when you look at what happens in the rest of the world, there's very few incubators elsewhere, right? At Correct. the end of the day, it's, it's also healthy. It's the galleries that Galleries and the private collectors. Galleries, private collectors, private uh, commissions for shops, for example. You know, when you look at great names like Sabine Marcellis, you'll find her in Fendi stores, you'll find yeah. her in Chloe stores because she's doing furniture for those stores. So those also private initiatives are also great. Don't forget that you have here a great panel of talents, let's say in the UAE, but also in the region. But they're not necessarily in touch with the with the private sector. They're not necessarily in no, touch with right. them. And I, and these are the first the first when you go to a hotel lobby and suddenly say, oh, that's great. Who's that by? Oh, it's a local designer. Great. Yeah. And you have a few examples here in Dubai, but it should be bigger and not not only Dubai. I say everywhere else, right? So no, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, when we started commissioning artists more on the art side, less on the design side, uh, as a lighthouse, people were very surprised because they're like, what's the motive? You know, I mean, the motive is exactly what you said. The motive is to support them, lend them visibility, but also um, close that gap between collectible art and design. Because the artists that we're bringing in are, in some cases, known artists, in some cases, uh, emerging artists. But as somebody that has collected art for, for many years, and design as well, to, to a lesser extent, that gap needs to close. And I find that it's people like myself and others that are going to help close that gap because you're, you're, it's not about making a statement. It's more about saying that it doesn't need to be either or, right? Yeah. It doesn't only need to be in the home, first of all, because it's Fendi, people think it's okay, but it should be more than that. It should be restaurants, it should be mm -hmm. regular retail shop. And to your point that it's not that expensive necessarily. Um, and I think that culture um, is not there yet. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, may maybe it will emerge. No, I agree. And also the point is that by supporting um, the canvas of all those designers, when you look at who has been um, offered a position or at least a presence in a permanent collection in museums, we only have three so far, right? So, um, and two of them are in the same museums in uh, Melbourne, in, in Australia. Who are those? Um, this is Talin Asba, who was commissioned for the Triennale last year, and Al Judluta, who... Um, one of the curators of the National Gallery of Victoria came during Design This Dubai, bought two of her, of her pieces and they're part of the collection. And then you have um, uh, at the Cooper Hewitt in, in New York, you have Amar Kahlo. Mm. So uh, also a, a design talent based in the UAE, not necessarily a UAE um, national. Um, yeah. national. And, and this is as well for me, um, 
probably the most rewarding aspect as well. When, when an institution considers that what you're creating is great for their own permanent collection. And that is a long lead, um, I would say almost PR work to, to make sure that all those guys and girls are known by those curators. And those curators, when they think of Middle East, they can come and shop around. And it's not that expensive too. So, I mean, these museums are not necessarily investing millions for these pieces, but it's, it gives such a great added value after that for the designer because when you put this on your CV, it's amazing, right? Do you feel it's that they just haven't come around it or there's a bias? A bit of both. Okay. I think we haven't attracted them properly. I mean, when they come for fairs, they're basically just like taken into these VIP programs, seeing too many things. You stay 20 minutes in the studio. You don't have time to really speak with, with someone. And then, and then I think it's also on the other side. I mean, we also need to, to eventually find the right platform to promote them abroad. Yes. Um, recently um, in Tashkil, we had the chance to bring uh, Patricia Okiola, yes. right? And what, we, what I was asking um, if it was possible and it happened, and I was so pleased with this, is that we did a kind of a speed dating with eight designers who for nearly 10 minutes, each of them had the opportunity to show their own portfolio to, to her. And it was such a great exchange because obviously they had an eye of a top three professional, but she learned so much from them too. I was going to say. She learned a lot of new product, new material, and she was so amazed and super happy when she left back to, to Milan. So this is the type of exchange we need to develop as well because it's a win-win situation. You've had a few designers that have broken out. So we've had on the show uh, David and Nicola a while back. They have had tremendous success. Carpenters is, is had them on their platform, Nilofar as well. Um, so and I, when, I, when we spoke to them, um, one of the questions I was trying to determine is, was it a one-off? You know, and also, very frankly, and I spoke to them about this as well, If their names were Ahmed and Muhammad and not David and Nicola, would that have given them impact? Not taken away from them at all. They're super talented and I'm a big fan of their work. I'm just curious to that bias you're talking about. Is it a bias, a perception of kind of the Arab world? Is it that maybe they, um, their style is more um, uh, closer to a Western audience than I? Uh, I? I'm trying to understand because obviously we'd love to see more David and Nicolas out there. That, that break out on a global scene? The name for sure not anymore. Yeah, uh, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe. Okay. These days, no. Actually, it's the more exotic you sound, probably the better you, you look in terms oh, of the Oh, then I can give aspect. you. Okay, that's great. Yeah. So that's, Gives me that, great hope. Don't, don't, don't be ashamed of your name. Put okay. it out there, making flashing lights, and it's fine. Um, the, 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 the perspective, the aesthetic... So and, I'll stick to Hashem for now. Please okay, do. fine. Yeah, and, 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 good, and good. I'll keep my Zamit as well. <laughs> <laughs> But I think it's, it's more being at the right moment, at the right time. Okay. They were, of course, supported by a, a fantastic um, design patron in, in Lebanon, Sherin Mahabi as well. 100%. And, and that helps a lot because, obviously, through her network, through... Um, it's not overshadowing the talent. So no, 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 wrong. not at all. I But mean, it this helps is, as well when you is, have a patron. We're trying to get deeper exactly. into yeah. why we don't have more of this. Is when it the process? Patron, basically, that patron really helps you financially, but also through his or her network to access a market that you don't know of, right? And I'm sure it would be the same here if we had the chance to have an, an, an opportunity to, to support. I know because um, I've, been, I've been talking with them, like that gallery that I mentioned, Collectional, there's a program in the next six months or a year for them to really look down, sit down with local and regional designers to really see, okay, what do you need? What can, how can we help? Because 
that company is also distributing a lot of uh, um, design uh, brands. Yes. So they have a network of producers as well. Obviously, it would be nice to produce in Dubai, but sometimes, like David and Nicola, they need to go and produce in Italy because 100%. you have some know-how, right? Um, so this is something which is interesting because you need to have someone who has the patience. You need to have someone who's not necessarily looking at numbers. And, and that it takes time. And we very well know that in this part of the world, we take off often time as an enemy and not as a friend, right? Yes. And, and these guys and girls, they really need to have a bit of time so, to, to develop something. So one of the things you're saying is you need more of the Shireen Maghrabis as well. I mean, you need well, that yeah. kind of patronage um, because I think you're right. A number of the, the, the artists that broke out from Lebanon were supported by her and her platform. And very likely that's how they attracted the big galleries, which then understood that their work is on par, if not better than some of the artists that are, you know, uh, from other parts of the world. Um, it's, it's true. You need, you need, you need a bit visibility. of... Visibility. You need of a fame that can help you. But at the end of the day, when you look what, for example, let's go back to Tashkil, what happened last November, when you have one person living in the UAE, developing a leather made out of pods from a tree, when you have someone developing a new product made of what is called cotton desert, which is basically a plant that we disregard on every corner of our, of our street, the solution is just here. You just need to have that s systematic approach of being curious and then have the, uh, and the, the platform to bounce to, to, be, to be seen. That's, that's for sure, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And also there's a crossover. So, for example, I'll give you an example. I've, I've collected and friends with an artist here, a Marathi artist called Muhammad Ahmad Ibrahim, mm -hmm. who's going to be featured in the Venice Biennale. And one of his works is, uh, a few number of his works, in fact, are made from paper mache mm -hmm. that he's collected in the desert in Khurfakan. And that is as much art as his design. Yeah. And I think that brings me to that another topic here, which is, Again, this blurring of boundaries, which I think would be very helpful. You said something earlier offline. Because we are here and maybe, maybe because we don't have the type of uh, evolution that some of the Western countries have had in terms of art and design, I find that creates, has a plus or minus. The big plus is you don't need to follow those rigid rules. It does not to be, need to be subcategorized into 10 things. You can afford to take chances. You can afford to blur the line between global, between collectible design and accessible design, let's call it, and art as well. I mean, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, I would be one of those guys who work in boxes. And I would tell you, if you're an artist, you're an artist. If you're a designer, you're a designer, right? Yeah, yeah. Because 15 years ago, for me, design is, um, you know, Product. Product. Function, right. yeah. It has a function. Now it's complicated because obviously design, one of the tasks of design and one of the mission of design is also doing something nice to look at, right? So there's an artistic point of view on top of the functionality of it. So it's both both ways. And now with, let's say, the, that crazy world of NST, NFT that uh, that opens up. That was my next point. Uh, that is... That is that is the, the last piece of um, Frontier. eraser that you have to uh, really remove that thin 100%. line. Because you have the guys like Andres Reisinger, who's doing some furniture, although he's a digital artist. So he's doing physical pieces, he's doing digital pieces. Now we call it fig figital. And then basically <laughs> it, it happens there, right? So yeah. I had that discussion recently when I was in Saudi Arabia, when we were discussing, okay, is that art or is that design? And again, everyone now define themselves as an artist. Yeah. And a few few years ago, um, some designers were bold enough to say, oh, don't call me designer anymore, call me artist. And we were asking them, frankly, why? Say, because I sell better if I'm calling myself an artist. These well, days, it's also a question. But these days, you don't necessarily need to 
imagine yourself who you could be. You're just who you are, and then you sell what you produce, full stop. Well, here's the, the point about NFTs that I certainly understand. The same way uh, collectible art and collective design signals status and signals privilege, I understand how an NFT can do the same. So a lot of people are saying, well, you know, can right-click on it and save it. That's not the point. The point is that in the digital world, similar to the physical world, people want to differentiate and want to signal status. And up until, I think, the world of, uh, of NFTs, that wasn't necessarily very clear how you go about that, right? And now I think NFTs have created that venue for you and I to go online, but I'm differentiated from you because I own, you know, NFTX. So it really has the same function of kind of creating status. Um, I, I understand that, actually. I don't find that difficult to understand within the art world. With design, it's a little trickier only because, to your point, we've usually had historically thought of design as a functional piece. Yes. So this is a table that's, you know, that, okay, I actually put stuff on it. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, look, in the art world, sometimes you were also buying some creations made of, of videos, right? So, and that was yes. also something which yes. was kind of very strongly intangible because when you buy a video, you don't necessarily know how to play and store it and display it whatsoever. I think for, for, for design, and that was a conversation I had with Andres Heisinger two days ago, it was exactly this. He said it's, it's somehow, if you look in the practical aspect, it's very sustainable because the, the digital creates demand and then, uh, then the, the physical will supply. Right, so mm -hmm. that's also a very nice change of situation mm -hmm. where before, you know, like some a lot of brands were producing and then you don't sell, so you have to discard the pieces and basically it's I a lot see of material. What you're and that is also a very interesting aspect. And it gave me a kind of more I did a, not think a, of that a, a strong humanity side of the NFT, which I'm still kind of new into that world, and I look at that with a bit of distance. I know I'm missing the boat, but I should I should jump. no no the boat will take a long time. Exactly. To, you're not missing anything. And you know, he was saying something which was also very interesting. He said, you know, um, what we see now with NFTs is like remember if you ago when we discovered mp3 it's exactly <laughs> the same situation right we didn't know how it works and whatever how do you transfer and if uh, mp3s it's going to be the same in a few years 10 15 years ago remember when the first days of internet no one believed oh, in that and for, for going back to your question i think it's important that galleries um and that's exactly the point that for example that gallery in dubai does in collectional they are creating a package of a situation where Let's say you are a limited edition um, design collection a co collector. You can buy the physical piece. You can buy its NFT. You can buy its, its metaverse situation yeah. as a package. And then you're the only one having the three pieces together. And that is something quite new because on top of that, the NFT gives the opportunity for, for all artists, not necessarily designers, to systematically get some royalties each time it's going to be eventually sold again. You know, normally when you sell a piece, it's forever. You, you don't get any royalties anymore. NFTs will give the artist the opportunity yeah, to get I mean, th that, is that is a completely big revolution uh, uh, for, for the art world altogether. No, I, I agree. I think that's something that's been now obviously very hotly debated. Do you think if we would project in the future, the same gatekeepers that exist in art and in design will be the gatekeepers for digital world? In other words the Nilfars of the world and the Christie's of the world and etc. etc. Or you're going to have, I mean, to your point, for example, OpenSea, which is a, you know, is where a lot of people buy NFTs. Yeah. Will they um, dethrone the Christie's and the... It's a question of evolution. If you're aware that evolution is here, 
then you're not necessarily walking towards a cliff without knowing there's, there's a fall at, at the end of the cliff. If you're aware of the situation, and that's already happening, I mean, uh, Philips already announced there's a first a situation with, uh, with NFTs. Um, galleries are very strong, and so the biz and Christie's as well, in adapting themselves very quickly into this. It's a normal evolution of the market. I mean, if you refuse to move at one point, you might be the last of the Mohican somewhere, and people will look at you like, oh, you're the last one. But if you refuse to evolve, then one way or another, like the rest of the entire society and civilization, you'll, 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 you'll fail. So um, if those guys, big guys like this auction house needs to evolve, they have to do it now. Let's switch to a subject that has a bit more to do with the physical world. Um, Saudi Arabia, you were there recently. We spoke about it offline. I'm curious about your views. It's a, obviously a very important market for our region. Um, you know, it has a lot of local talent, a lot of bus currently. Uh, despite the pandemic, they have continued evolving, uh, investing in arts and culture and design now, biennials, etc. Give us your, your view of, of where that market is vis-a-vis, -vis, say, and I'm not comparing necessarily, but vis-a-vis -vis, uh, Dubai or, or others. Um, listen, I was in, in January in Riyadh and I attended and I did a talk at the Saudi Design Festival, which is the, the, the evolution of the former Saudi Design uh, Week. Um, I was very interested to see plenty of extremely strong energy, uh, plenty of goodwill. This youth who's basically have no boundaries and sky is the limit, if not beyond. Um, clearly, um, it's still new, it's still fresh. So they probably will have one, two, very few names who are potentially ready to go into an international market. And I'm not saying this disregardingly. I mean, I don't want no, to look no, down at them. Missing, yeah, no, no, you're not dismissing it. It's just that there, there are potentials. They, exactly. There are potential and it will take time. But what I see is, for example, uh, a very strong um, wish from the authorities, either the Royal Commission of Alula, for example, or, you know, the Royal Commission of... Um, um, Riyadh City or the Minister of Culture is to integrate design and art yeah. and not differentiate. Like a lot of countries have looked at art as, okay, art is the most important aspect. Yes, but no. It means, yes, it's important, but you also have design, you have graphic design, you have industrial design. And when, when you have a country like the UAE with this huge industry capacity, or in Saudi as well, then if you have great industrial designers, you can also produce here, you know. And that is also something which is fantastic pull for your economy is not necessarily only importing after what we saw with the pandemic that we so strongly dependent on the rest of the world. If you develop as well an industrial canvas here, then definitely could also be very grateful for, uh, very good for your country. If you had the ear of a decision maker there, uh, knowing what you know about the evolution of Dubai and you being part of this for over 10 years now, what would be the one thing you would advise them in terms of a mistake to avoid or a challenge to avoid? I won't say mistake, but I would say, again, I'll go back to my point from earlier, Take a bit of time. Don't okay, rush. I agree with that. If you rush, you will miss uh, some steps. And it's nice to build a house, but in the middle of the house, you forgot to build the, the floor number three yeah. or the bathroom. Then at one point, you'll have to go back and then it will take more time to reinitiate all this. Um, so for me, it's this. There are talents. There are the potential. Let's be clear. There is also money to put this in, in place. Of course. So let's work diligently in a way that every step needs to be thorough, um, evaluated and don't rush too much. Rush is nice, but too much, too too fast. You know, you, you might eventually finish on the side. But there are countries nice. in a rush, right? 
I mean, the Gulf I mean, in general is, is, you know, they, they are in a rush. So easier said than done. Look, um, look, look, sorry to interrupt, but no, no. Dubai, it took, let's put it this way, a good 10 years, yes. if not 15 for the art fair, for example, to have a sustainable or let's say quite sustainable yes. um, art scene. Yes. And God knows how fast Dubai works, right? Yes. I normally that's, say... That's in, good in, perspective. When I, when I do um, uh, presentations abroad, I, I normally joke saying like one year of Dubai equals 10 years in the rest of the world, right? Yes. So now Saudi would be one year in Saudi equals one year, uh, 10 years of Dubai that equals 100 years in the rest yeah. of the world. Yeah. It's fine to go fast. It's fine. But you can trip. You have to be careful. You need to be cautious, not careful. I would okay. say cautious because... You just need you. You might just burn some some wings of some of great creatives who suddenly be, will be exposed and not necessarily being rewarded by the way the international community can look at them. So I think that's a very important point. You've touched on this now a few times, but I want to just repeat this point. I also agree with you that one of the uh, the things that I've observed being here over fifteen years is exactly that point: is that you do see the talent. It's very good talent. But like any good talent or any, anything really, it takes time to evolve. And if they're exposed too early, pushed too early, put out in the limelight, they get eaten up by the international community's critique while they're not ready. So you're not doing them a service. Or they can be the, the flavor of the month because yes. suddenly one piece is nice and exotic and different. But then that person has no time to reinvent itself, himself or herself. And then basically it becomes kind of boring the, the next collection, you know? And we always look at, you know, we were talking about a couple of famous uh, design galleries, but we forgot how they started, you know? I mean, I mean, they started very humbly in the middle of a warehouse somewhere else, uh, somewhere at the end of the city before being, you know, prime location in the middle of the city. That's it's true. the same for everyone, right? I mean, a, an, an artist can be super famous because suddenly for an alignment of planets, you know, he has a good publicist or she has talent and all that together align and someone comes in the city and discover that and boom, it's on the internet. But to settle a, a, a career, you need time again. What are your plans? So uh -huh. you are, uh, you know, you've, you've had that, you know, you've, you've worked with governments, you've worked with semi-governments here, you've worked privately as well with Art Dubai or the private institution, semi-private now, I suppose. And, and now for big banks as well. You, so. Oh yeah, you had a previous career with big banks gone, exactly. and so you must be very glad this is over. Actually, you know, my job at the bank was fun because I was there to spend money. Yeah, when the banks had money. Yeah. And now you would have to work for. When the bank has money, and it, my job was cultural uh, sponsorship. So um, I'd love to share that story. When I was at HSBC Private Bank in Switzerland, one day my CEO, Peter Braunwalder, came to me and said, okay, Cyril, we need to find a different sponsorship. I was like, what do you want? Okay, I don't want contemporary art. I don't want golf and I don't want classical music. Find me something else. <laughs> I was like, okay, what can we find? And then two weeks after Sam Kelly at that time was the head of Art Basel, he said, oh, Cyril, I have this friend in Miami called Craig Robbins. He's looking for a sponsor. Do you think your bank could be interested? And at that time, it's funny because the bank had a claim, which I don't remember exactly, but basically it was like, it was private banking. So private banking, you tailored exactly a product for your client. And it's exactly what limited edition is about. You know, your client decides, I want this table blue and with three, three eggs, whatever. So I came to see him and I was like, okay, here's something. It was in August, uh, 2006. And um, so Design Miami was in December, 2006. So less than six years, six months after. And I was showing my typical presentation on PowerPoint and he was flipping page one, page two. And after page three, he just threw me the, the presentation back at me and said, okay, we do it. I was like, well, you know, Peter, 
Look at page <laughs> yes. 17 because Hold your you have horses. numbers at the end, yeah. right? You know, the usual, the usual hammer is at the end. And he said, no, no, well, let's do it. I was like, okay, but I insist. It's a lot of money. And say, Cyril, I'm going to teach you something. You come to see your CEO. He says, go ahead. So you should run and go ahead. And in six months, we were the first bank in the world sponsoring a design show. Amazing. And it, it lasts about five years. And it was such a great relationship with, with the Design Miami team. We built up something new. We, we tailored a brand new way of collecting because every bank were doing art, art banking, like UBS, for example. Yes. But none of them were advising their clients and ultra-high net worth individuals to invest as well in, in design. And that was something where my job was to spend money on a cultural program, which, you know, it was fun in the bank. So is that what you want to do now, now that you're fancy free? <laughs> going back to bank? Uh, no. <laughs> well, no, spend, spend somebody's money on design is always fun. So what, what, what plans do you have? I mean, knowing what you know and knowing where the region is, and I assume you, you are very invested in the region at this stage yes, in your career. Because I'm also very grateful. I mean, let's say the UAE has been extremely grateful to me. I've been recently given a golden visa and I'm very grateful. Thank you. About that, I think it was really nice. I mean, we both work hard to make this a kind of a success or positioning this. So you're right. I want to be remain loyal to the UAE and to the region because this is the place where basically have been giving me the most enjoyable part of my life. Not saying that before it was boring, but... You're saying France I, was awful? I, I never worked in France, <laughs> funny enough. I no, worked for France, but... Uh, um, <laughs> Yeah, working with French people is a bit complicated. So yes, I, that's I a whole this. different conversation. We'll have on a different <laughs> we show. We can do three hours. Yeah, on that. Exactly. So what, what are you looking forward to now? I mean, if there will be one or two things in your profession that you feel you want to accomplish uh, or help build, yeah, I mean, what would that Yeah, this is exactly be? the point. I mean, I like to, to evaluate something, see the, uh, the, the capacities, trying to use my network to... to Put the people together. I should have worked for Nokia because I like connecting people. So, but that's an old claim. We can't use this one anymore. No, that's that's totally over. Yeah, hmm? yeah. that's totally over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, to answer your question about my plans, I'd love to um, support um, the community here by what I've learned and by what I know, and by connecting them with different part of the world in a way that. I think there is such a huge potential in this region, which is still hasn't been completely exploited. And I think it's just a miss because uh, a lot of people will be so surprised to discover uh, those talents over here. And even though the market is saturated worldwide, I think there's some room to discover some regions of the world, including this part. I mean, I have one or two. Taiwan is the next one I would love to promote as well. And Australia is, funny enough, extremely pro uh, um productive in terms you've of always liked australia i remember having conversation always. about australia always it's many so years ago absolutely yeah that's great well we wish you the best of luck we will be watching very carefully uh, from you. our little perch at the lighthouse and uh, yeah thank you for honestly for your contribution well thanks for having me thank again. you thank you for joining us on the lighthouse conversations with me hasha montasser we're produced by chirag desai and our content director is farah sharif if you've enjoyed this episode, please follow us on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Also, feel free to browse our extensive collection of previous episodes, which you can find on any of your podcast players, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. You can find us on Instagram at thelighthouse underscore AE or send us an email at connect at thelighthouse.ae. And please share a link with your friends if you've enjoyed this episode. We'll see you again in two weeks.